As we begin our service, I want everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to do the, my prayer time a little bit different this morning. Uh, as I was reviewing my notes, the Lord just impressed me that we needed to do this. And uh, so I've learned to follow the prompting of the Spirit in this way. <clears throat> just want you to bow your head, close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer right now, okay? First of all, I want you to praise God for who He is. I want you to praise Him for being our loving Father, our Creator who gives our lives meaning and purpose, for being our Redeemer, the one who provided the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, to take care of our sin problem and provide us a relationship with God. You just, whatever else comes to your mind as you pray, just give him praise for who he is. Now I want you to confess any unknown or any uh, known sin that you've not confessed to the Lord. Maybe it's a sin that took place already this morning, maybe this past week. Now that you reflect back, uh, even now the Spirit's convicting you of a sin that you just didn't really confess to the Lord as sin. And thank Him for His forgiveness as you confess that sin to Him now. We want to make sure we're clean before the Lord as we uh, hear from Him, His Word. Now I want you to thank him for how he's blessed you. It may be in general for your family, maybe the job that you have. But more specifically, how maybe this past week God blessed you in a specific way. And you've not really thanked him for that. You know, it just happened and you were happy about it, but you really didn't stop and say, Lord, I want to thank you for that blessing that you gave me this week. I'm sure you have a burden on your heart, a need that uh, you need God to provide for you. Then right now, the Bible says, let your request be made known unto God. That we're to ask, ask by faith, believing. And so ask him for that need in your life right now. And as you do that, I want you to also pray for someone else who has need. Uh, the Bible calls that intercession, that we are praying on behalf of somebody else. So pray for yourself, the need that you have, but also you know someone else who's in need today.
Father, I especially thank you this morning for the words that we've sung in this set today and to be confident of who you are and the firm foundation that we stand on being Jesus Christ, the living word understood by the written word that you have breathed to us that you have given to us your very word and that corporately together we can come and worship you and praise you and to hear from you and to experience you in this place. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will have the freedom in this room to move in our hearts and those who are watching or listening today. Father, I pray that you'll speak through me now. Thank you for the great privilege that I have to share your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who are guests, isn't it good to be still just for a minute? It's just good to be still and to really just position our hearts as we've praised the Lord in music. And now we hear from him through his word. But for those who are guests, we've been studying a new series I started last Sunday. It's called Pressure Points. That was the point of the graphic. That we uh, experience pressure points in different ways. Last Sunday, it's about relationships. Uh, I, I'm sure after that sermon, you're a little more aware of the pressure points of relationships. And maybe you said in the heat of the moment, oh, wait, this is a pressure point. The preacher was talking about that. And so I need to cool down and deal with this in a redemptive way. Today we're going to talk about, I think, the number one pressure point that people deal with in life. It's probably the number one stressor. It is, statistically, the number one reason for divorce, for divorce in marriages today. And that's related to our finances. You're here today and you're thinking a lot. You're worried about your finances it's a pressure point right now for you. Uh, you, you, you. Your head is barely above the water, and recently something happened, and now you feel like you're sinking in despair, and you're not sure how to handle what you're dealing with. Maybe you're worried about the future, your financial future. Uh, I'm getting older, and I think about that more than I used to, and uh, so, you know, it's a pressure point that we all deal with. And the good news is that the Bible says a lot about this. Uh, in the Old Testament, think of this. One-fourth of the Old Testament deals with the sacrificial system. That means that, that God is requiring something from us of our possessions in the Old Testament. A sacrifice is made of what the Israelites possessed. And so one of the lessons that we learn is that everything that God has given us comes from Him, and we're to be stewards of the resources that we have. Now, that's just not money. That's time, how we use our time, how we steward our energies. For Christians, it's how we uh, steward the gifts that God has given us for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and accomplishing God's work through the church. Now, the New Testament speaks about it quite a bit as well. We find that there are 500 verses on the topic of faith 
There are 500 verses in the New Testament on prayer. There are a thousand verses in the New Testament on finances and 2,300 verses in the entirety of the Bible about money. Now, why did God put so much in the Bible? I mean, he is speaking to us about critical issues as it relates to our understanding of him and understanding of ourselves and of life because he knew how much we would struggle with the issue of our finances or just needs in life. Whether it's somebody in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the planet, they're waking up wondering how are they going to provide today? How are they going to feed their family? How are they going to meet the needs that that they have personally or for others around them? It doesn't matter whether it's in Africa or China or in America, wherever it is. And he knew how Satan would use this particular issue to create pressure in our lives that distracts us from knowing God and experiencing God. It can be a great discouragement to us. And so I want us to uh, look in God's word, but before that, I want to ask three questions. How would you answer these questions? Number one, what is the most precious thing to your heart? What's the most precious thing to your heart? Secondly, what do you think about most? What do you think about most? Third, how important will your current goals and desires be in eternity? What you're so concerned about as it relates to the needs of your life that you perceive are needs in your life, how important are those things going to be in heaven? In eternity, how does it fit into God's eternal purpose? Well, the good news is that Jesus, in the greatest sermon that he ever preached, or ever was preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're going to find how he addresses this issue and gives us great encouragement and gives us hope, but helps us see why there's pressure. You see, it's not just we're having a problem, but what's creating the pressure on me? as it relates to finances. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, I want to read a few verses, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Now that's the verse you need to underline and circle. That's it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve or be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. All right, now there are several things that Jesus is going to teach us on how to relieve the pressure point of finances. All right, number one, notice he speaks about financial choices. Financial choices. Possessions or money, of course, is important to all people 
uh, since the beginning of time. For all ages, it doesn't matter how young or old you are, that we think about this. And we need to learn to invest in those things that will last. And that's why Jesus says it boils down to one of two choices. Notice he says the first choice is in verse 19, that you will collect treasures on earth. Or the other choice is in verse 20, that you will collect treasures in heaven. Now, it's interesting that the word collect and the word treasure are the same Greek word in the, in the original language. And we get our word thesaurus from that. That means a treasury. Now, what is a thesaurus, though? A treasury of what? Words, right? And so the little translation would be this. Don't, do not treasure treasures on earth, but treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. You have these treasures, but what are you really treasuring? Is that what you're concerned about? Now, pastor, does that mean that uh, I can't have money, that I'm to give away all my money, that it's a sin for me to have wealth, that it's not right for me to save for the future for a rainy day or whatever? Well, first of all, God, uh, Jesus is not forbidding a man working to make money. Paul said if a man doesn't work, he doesn't deserve to eat. Now, those who can't work, and so we have to help them eat. But he says if a man won't eat and doesn't, I mean, doesn't work and won't work, then he doesn't deserve to eat. He has to learn how to work and, and pressure him into uh, that point of, hey, you've got to assume responsibility and provide for yourself and for others. So it's not about making money. It's, it's, it's a good thing to make money. Adam was put in the garden, and before there was any sin... In the Garden of Eden, what did he tell Adam to do? Work the garden. He gave him a job to do. And he was able to reap the benefit from the fruit of the land. All right, so that's, that's not a sin to work. Secondly, Jesus is not forbidding a man becoming wealthy. He's not forbidding somebody becoming wealthy. That's not bad in and of itself. And, and, and the key, key passage of Scripture here is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, I've said this before, but remember, Deuteronomy is basically about a two-hour sermon by Moses. He has the children of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land and begin the conquest of the land of Canaan. It will become, eventually, Israel. Now, he gives this, remember, Moses couldn't go into the promised land because of his previous sin. But he's reminding them of the law. And he says this, though, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. He says, you're going to go into the land, and you're going to, your, your livestock is going to increase greatly. Your crops are going to increase greatly. You're going to see that your gold and silver is going to multiply. You're going to become wealthy. But in verse 18, he says, But do not forget that it is the Lord who has given you the power to gain wealth. It is the Lord who's giving you the power to gain wealth. So gaining wealth is not evil in and of itself. It's what we do with the wealth that God gives us. And really the point is they had great wealth. So that wasn't wrong. Jesus is not forbidding somebody accumulating savings for being ready for the day that is coming. Now, again, there's balance in that. But the, the great example here is in Proverbs chapter 6. It's a great metaphor of the ant. 
He makes this point talking about an ant in Proverbs. What does the ant do? He gathers during the harvest season so that he's ready for the winter that comes. The Apostle Paul would tell Timothy about saving money in order to, or making money in order to, helping others. You're taking care of yourself, but you have enough, you have enough reserve that you're able to help others as well. And of course, all of that is done in a sacrificial way. That's a whole other sermon about what is sacrifice. So we have these resources, and we have a choice to make of what we're going to do with these resources. And so he says that everyone has the choice of where we will invest the greatest part of our life. Not just money, but are you investing your life here on earth or in heaven by what you're doing with what you have? Your time, your resources, your giftedness, your finances. Jesus urges that we concentrate on laying up treasure in heaven, and he gives us three reasons why that's the better choice. Number one, because the world is transient. The world is transient, and he uses the illustration of the moth. Now, clothing was a symbol of status in that day and time, and it may be sealed today. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. A lot of money is spent on clothing. We need clothing. There's nothing wrong with having clothing. Thank God we've got clothing, right? So we have clothing. But the point of the moth is, is that it eats away clothing. It's not permanent. It's not going to last. And it's one illustration of, of focusing on something here on earth that's not going to last. You need to focus on something that's not going to be eaten away like clothing is by the moth. Notice, secondly, the world is tarnishable. He illustrates this with the word rust, which literally means to eat. Now, what does rust do? It eats away metal. It weakens metal. And metal will break. It changes its appearance. Rust can have a very powerful effect. I didn't understand this fully until I moved to Florida. My dad is a pastor. took a church my junior year of high school. And uh, I noticed there was this company, and they had locations everywhere everywhere like like convenience stores and it's called zbart and these cars are lined up in the parking lot almost every day and so i asked one of my friends there that i met from high school and i said what's the deal with this business and they said oh well they spray an undercoat underneath the the vehicle against all the metal so that the rust won't eat away the metal of the car and i began to think about that how if you notice, if you ever go to the Gulf Coast, particularly, uh, or even the East or West Coast, that everything that is metal in time will have rust on it, right? If you have a metal threshold on your door, if you have a vehicle, if you have a business, if there's a metal fence that's up, what building, whatever, you're going to see rust everywhere because of the salt that's in the air. And how it eats away, it's a perfect way to see what Jesus is trying to say, why there's, there are things that are tarnishable, and they won't last. They won't last. Then he says the world is takeable. He says thieves break in and steal. You're worried about your possessions. You're worried about somebody taking what you have. So if I'm committed to God, he's saying that the most important things that I possess and what I value will be determined by God. Many have financial problems today. 
because they're victim of circumstances they could not control. But a lot of us have financial problems because we've made a wrong choice on what we do with what we have and what we value, where our heart is as it relates to what we possess. We need to invest in the things that will last the treasures that are in heaven. And he's going to help us understand what exactly that is. Notice, secondly, he not only speaks about financial choices, but he speaks about financial conduct. And he says there are two expressions of this conduct. First of all, there's a heart problem. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what's the point he's trying to make? Money's not your problem. Money's not the problem. It's your heart. It's where your heart is. And the way that we know, Jesus said, the way that I know where your heart is, is where your treasure is. What do you value most in your life? The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says it's the love of money. It's a heart issue. The heart stands for the center of our moral and spiritual life. Our desires, our affections, our thoughts, our understanding, our will. And the things that we treasure actually govern our lives. So we put so much focus on finances or whatever else that we treasure that our lives are centered around that particular thing or maybe a person. What we value, it pulls at our minds and our emotions. In other words, some people... Their treasure is their job. They love their job. They value their job. And what happens when you lose your job? Do you come undone? You don't like it. You you have concern. But does it it destroy you? Or are you able to move through that? What about relationships? That can happen through death or divorce or just a relationship ends. Does that undo you? Is that, is your whole life, is the treasure of your life that particular relationship? Or is there something greater that you value in life? What about your hobbies? If the hobby is taken away, how do you handle that? If the hobby is sports and your team loses, you know, over the decades I've read stories in the newspaper of, uh, of, uh, crazy things that happen when teams lose and what fans do literally killing other people over something they value and treasure here on earth that has no eternal value whatsoever but they're so caught up in it that it absolutely controls their entire being proverbs 4 23 says guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life jesus says It may be a heart problem, or it could be an eye problem. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. The physical eye brings light into the body, and it gives direction for the entire body. If I don't have light, I don't have direction. But if I have light, then I have direction. It determines the whole body. Our spiritual vision helps us determine true happiness and discernment of true values. Let me illustrate this. Eve in the Garden of Eden. She had an eye problem. She saw the fruit. What? Ate it. 
How about David? David had an eye problem. He took his eyes off his wife and onto somebody else, and it cost him. How about Achan? You know who Achan is in the Bible? I don't know anybody that's named their child Achan. Do you? Please, I hope you don't have a hand here. <laughs> who was Achan? I said that Israel crossed the Jordan River. Their first battle was the Battle of Jericho. God told uh, the Israelites, destroy everything. Don't take anything. They defeat. The walls fall down. They go to Ai. Ai, that's the next town. That's the next battle. He, Joshua sends spies, and they come back and say, oh, this is a piece of cake. We don't need a bunch of Israelites to go over here. Just send two or 3,000, and we'll take it. No problem. They go over there. They get wiped out. And come to find out, Achan had taken possessions out of Jericho and put them under his tent. And then they went to fight Ai, and they got defeated. The whole family was brought out, destroyed right there. He had an eye problem. His possessions, the, the lust for possessions, destroyed him and his family. Now notice he says, if your eye is good. That word good can also mean single. That means undivided devotion, oneness of purpose, unwavering focus on a fixed object. Now, what should be the object that we're looking at? Well, he's going to answer that here in just a moment. He tells us, what, is, what does it mean that I, I, I'm laying up treasures in heaven? It's all based on the object of what you desire. Now, notice, let me continue, and then I'll come back to this. Notice third, there are financial consequences. In verse 22, he says, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. It's a good thing. If your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. Let me give you some men of history that had a good eye. Many of you know J.C. Penney. Shopped there last week. J.C. Penney. Henry Hines of Hines Foods. Or James Kraft of Kraft Foods. All had a single eye. Their eyes were single and their bodies were full of light. Money did not corrupt these men. They had the ability to see God and recognize Him as the source of their life. The source of everything that they had and God blessed. God was able to use these men. But notice He says, if the eye is not single, there are serious consequences. Darkness. This person is not able to see the presence of God in the midst of the darkness, the chaos, the financial stress. They can't get relief because they don't believe God is around, that God is near. They can't see God in it. They can't see the providence of God, that God is at work through this situation. He's allowed it to happen and that God's going to provide. They can't see the punishment of God, that there is a consequence, and that is darkness. If our eyes are bad, we cannot see clearly. Lives are being destroyed because they don't have spiritual eyes, good eyes. Years ago, I uh, was in my 40s, and I went to a doctor, and I found out that I had cataracts in both eyes. And it's unusual for somebody my age, but uh, my parents knew a specialist in Florida, 
long story, great man of God. And so I flew there to Tampa and had the surgeries done. And I could not believe the difference. How my eyesight was getting blurred and now without glasses, I was able to see perfectly. As many of you have had that same experience. And that's a great lesson spiritually that we have spiritual cataracts. There's darkness there. There's no light. And so it's causing us to live in darkness. Now notice what Jesus says. So if the light within is darkness, you see you're focused on, you're seeing something. You're focused on something that is not of God. And as a result, he says, how deep is that darkness? It's not a small matter. It's going to create a major problem. Proverbs 4.19, but the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. So there are financial consequences, good ones or bad ones. But notice the financial challenge in verse 24. And here he drives home the point, what is the object of what we're looking at? What are our eyes fixed on? Where is the treasure in heaven? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Your eye will be fixed on one of two objects, he says, the things of this world or on God. And Jesus gives this challenge to his listeners, who is going to be your master? The word slave here or serve in another translation is the word doulos. It means the bond slave. And then the word master is the word kurios, which means lord or owner, master. What does he mean by being slayed, enslaved to fixed on money? It means that your entire life and time are completely owned and controlled by a single master. You're going to serve one or the other. You will be enslaved to one or the other. Notice the contrast. You will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So the servant ends up being distracted, divided, and defeated because he's trying to be focused on more than one thing in life. And he says it's only one. It's one or two choices. You can't have several masters in your life. Guys, try this experiment. Go on a trip with your wife, with your mother, and your mother-in-law, and try to please them. Now, first of all, don't ever try that. Just, just don't ever try that. But what? It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Uh, all kidding aside, what is he saying? You have one heart. You have one throne. And there's one person sitting on that throne not two or three. It's either you or it's Jesus Christ. Either your life is focused on you, your needs, your wants, your desires, what you believe is best, what you think will give happiness and fulfillment, or your focus is on Jesus Christ and he's the true master of your life. You notice what he says. Money's not the problem. Money is not the problem. It's your heart. And who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So is the treasure of your life Jesus Christ? Is it 
His will and His purpose. I'm not going to uh, uh, print these on the screen. But after this very passage, notice the very next thing he says, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. This is why I tell you, in light of what I've just said about money, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food in the body, more than clothing, etc.? Look at the birds, how God takes care of them, grass of the field, how it clothes the fields, and all the rest. And then he says in 633, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we tend to worry about, the the pressure point of finances, God's going to provide for us. All right. So, pastor, what do I do? I get it. What do I need to do? Well, number one, pray. Admit you need help. If, If finances is a struggle for you, and it just seems to be a repeating pattern, then, then, then pray and admit you need help. Tell the Lord that. Confess any known sin about how you've spent your money. Now, again, it may be that circumstances are such. Uh, you know, I remember hearing uh, Larry Burkett years ago. He said, I had a guy come in, my financial advisor, a Christian. He said, I had a guy come in, and he was making $50,000. He said, I've got financial problems. i got a family. And he said, okay, well, I thought, well, this guy's got, he's got problems, 50000 Another guy came in and he said, I make 100000 a year and I've got financial problems. And a third guy came in and he said, I make $250,000 a year and i got problems. 50000 guy would say, oh, I would love to make 250000 I wouldn't have any more problems. So money was not the issue, he learned. It's what we're doing with what we have and where the focus of our life is. So... If there's any sin, confess it. Then, in your prayer, acknowledge God as the owner of all that you have and ask Him to give you wisdom of how to manage what He's given you. It's a spiritual issue, so you begin with prayer. Secondly, create a budget. Sit down with your spouse, or if you're alone, then sit down and create a budget. Be intentional about how you're going to use the money that God has given you, how you're going to steward it. Be intentional about it. That's where you reestablish your priorities and your values. It's a great communication tool as well. How we're going together, work as a team, in order to accomplish what we believe is God's purpose financially. How are we going to invest in God's kingdom? How are we going to let what we have be a, a, a tool that God can use for His glory? Then begin giving to God. Be intentional, be systematic, don't be haphazard because it won't happen. It's like anything else in life. You want to create change? Well, I'll do it when I feel like it. It won't happen. So you have to be intentional, be systematic. I I give twice a month because I get paid twice a month. And that's how I do it. Uh, And then however else God leaves. In that, I believe we, we start with a tithe. The Old Testament speaks to that. The New Testament talks about free will giving. uh, That a man should give as he is prospered. The Bible says in the New Testament, Paul writes. So where's the balance there? Well, Jesus didn't speak against the tithe. And I think it's a good foundational place for us as believers. And then we give beyond that as he leads us to do so. I just, I, I've seen that work throughout the years in helping people. And look, the bottom line is, is that God can do a whole lot more with 
90% than I can do with 100%. He, he will bless you as you are intentionally giving to the Lord. Listen, you're giving to Him through the church to advance the kingdom of God. And so, so it's to the Lord that you're giving. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to Linwood. You're giving to God. But it's through the church so that we can then use those resources wisely as well to further advance the kingdom of God. Uh, look, there are different ways you can do that. I don't have time to get into it. I will later. But you can give when you're here. You can mail that in. You can give online so that if you're absent, you're, you have to be gone. Uh, we've noticed that when attendance is down, giving is down. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and when people are here, then the giving's higher. So that's a way that you can continue to give as God uh, has purposed in your heart to do so. Then, this is important, get qualified help. Sit down with the Christian financial counselor. Uh, Karen and I were married seven years, and we were doing the best we knew to do. And it came to a point where I said, you know, we just need to sit down with somebody and help us plan. We weren't in trouble, but it really made a huge difference in how we were able to understand. It was really good, not just how to budget, but the principles behind it. Uh, so so get, get good. And I, and I still talk to people today who give advice about that area. All right. Then trust God. Be patient with the Lord as he begins to work in this area, takes the pressure off. And remember, God is at work. He's at work. He'll use this area of your life to build your faith, to build your obedience and your love for him. And look, rather than money being a pressure point in your life, you're going to find that God is going to be able to use you to advance his kingdom. And also, you're going to find great joy. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, when you're in a position where you're able to give to others, then there's a great blessing that comes. There's great joy in doing that. Satan is trying to rob you of God's joy in your life, and this is one way that he will do that. And so, why not today? Why not today say, Lord, all that I have is yours. Teach me how to be a wise steward so that I can advance your kingdom, bring glory to you, and experience the joy of giving. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, my problem is, is really a heart problem, but it's because I've focused my life on things other than Jesus Christ. I don't have a relationship with God. And today I recognize that even though this is about money, it's really not about money. It's about my heart, and it's not right with God. And today I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to let him be on the throne of my life and let him be my master and to take over my life. I want to surrender my life, my will, my values, everything to him. And as you do that today, you're going to experience God richly blessing your life beyond anything that you could imagine. And don't settle for money because it's not about money, how he's going to bless you. So many other ways that God will bless your life. So in a minute when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of the pastors and we'll help you as you give your life to Christ. But today, many may be feeling that pressure financially. What's the problem? What's the need? 
Well, first of all, just surrender that to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me through this particular pressure that I'm facing right now? And the Lord's aware of it, but He is working and He is wanting you to learn something about Him and about yourself as you position yourself for His blessing. There might be others that God is leading you to become part of our church family today. We would love for you to be a part of what God is doing in our church and through our church for the gospel's sake. There are others that might want to come and pray quietly at the front or you want someone to pray for you, you come and we'll do that. Father, thank you how much you love us and thank you for this important lesson from your word. Teach us, Lord, how to be wise stewards of what you have given us so that it doesn't become a pressure point in our lives, but a true source of joy. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.